Blog Talk Radio. September 26, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture, including the Pope's visit, from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the one that uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness, and that last assertion that I made is something that we will be kind of substantiating in more detail today. Um, I want to start first with a little bit of housekeeping. I'm sorry about switching the schedule so much, but if you went to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, you saw that I had an important meeting yesterday, so I could not make the schedule time. Uh, It was not a meeting that I was able to reschedule. I was not uh, the person whose time was sort of, you know, more rigid, I guess. And then the other thing is next Friday, I've got a medical appointment. And again, it's one of these things where I don't have the flexibility to reschedule it and it's conflicting. So I'm going to do Saturdays for the next, you know, today, of course, and then probably next Saturday as well. And then I'm hoping to switch back to the Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific time slot. That's my goal. But just, you know, follow me on social media. Follow my blog at DontLetItGo.com. And if you are someone who likes to be here live, you'll be able to keep up with the schedule. Uh, Then the second thing I want to say is, yes, the title of this show is Religion Versus America. Those people who are regular listeners to my show know that I am not a person who rejects the value of religious people in general. I'm gathering that People who are religious are not going to like a lot of things that I have to say during this particular show, but know that as it stands right now, I'm still a big supporter, for example, of Ted Cruz, who is quite religious. So uh, he, you know, do keep in mind kind of my overall context, but especially given the visit of the Pope this week and a lot of the things that he said, I thought it was important to discuss this topic about how Religion, if you take it seriously at its fundamentals, is antithetical to America and what it stands for at root, which I take to be the pursuit of happiness. The right to the pursuit of happiness is what is fundamental about America, and that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. I have other topics, though, on the topic of religion in general versus America, and those, as you might guess, are on you know examples of how this week Islam has been working to you know basically destroy a number of things within the United States values that we 
hold dear. So we'll talk about some of those examples too. Um, I will not be covering the exact same ground as Jerome Brooke. It was interesting because I put the topic of my show out there and I swear four minutes later I saw that the Ayn Rand Institute uh, posted the topic for your own show and their title is The Pope versus Capitalism. And your own focused on different things that I'm going to be focusing on here today. The other thing that I'm not going to rehash, and I'm, you know, there is a, a title of a talk by Leonard Peikoff, Religion versus America. He did this talk in the 80s, and he was talking about uh, Reagan and Kemp. I listened to that talk earlier today. I listened to it again. Um, thankfully, the Ayn Rand. Uh, bookstore, the e-store that they have, allows you to download MP3s, and I was able to drive around and listen to this today while I was going back and forth to my class. But in that talk, Leonard Peikoff, you know, quotes from Reagan and Kemp, the people at the time who were part of the new religious establishment in the Republican Party, and he, you know, he did talk about the current politics a little bit, but he focused mostly on the philosophical nature of religion, you know, religion as a philosophy and how as a philosophy it is antithetical to Americanism, to individual rights. And he focused specifically on the aspects of faith versus reason and then um, duty and sacrifice versus, in effect, pursuing your own happiness and individual rights, how duty and sacrifice contradict those. Uh, he discussed what does a consistently religious society look like. You get the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages and all the horrors of that. And he also gave evidence that our founding fathers uh, were not fundamentally religious, that the primary thing that moved them was reason and the Enlightenment. And yes, we did have that inherent contradiction at our founding between reason and Enlightenment on the one hand with individual rights as the consequence, and then on the other hand, the Judeo-Christian ethics. And it's that underlying contradiction that we're seeing the fruits of now, particularly post-Kant. I highly recommend that talk by Leonard, Religion versus America. Again, go to the Ayn Rand bookstore, the e-store at the Ayn Rand Institute, and you'll be able to download the MP3 for something ridiculously cheap, like four bucks. So highly recommended to do that. Um what I want to focus on mostly is what Pope Francis said to the United Nations. And why I was able to get a full transcript of the talk, and I just wanted to discuss some of the ideas that he said there. And then um, towards the end of this, what I want to talk about is particular aspects of the American sense of life, those of you who are regular listeners, again, you know that this show is called Don't Let It Go, and it is the American sense of life. The American sense of life is this sort of subconscious understanding of man, man's nature, and our nature in relation to the world. And, um, you know, there are certain aspects of that that I'm going to discuss and I'm going to contrast with the philosophy that Pope Francis is expounding in this speech to the United Nations. I think there are many people who realize that the things that Pope Francis has been saying this week are antithetical to America and everything that America stands for, and yet I don't know that they themselves 
tie those ideas directly enough to religion, or maybe they just, you know, think that, well, you don't have to take religion that seriously, etc. And I'm going to be kind of pressing you on this a little bit here this evening. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. I, I'm so glad that so some of you, some of the regulars are here in the chat room with me. I see John, I see just Jean, Freedom Breeze, Mark, Pig Fan, Trevor, thank you for being flexible and joining me here. I see some other people lurking over there, John and Kathleen, welcome. Uh, and if you do want to call in and chime in at a certain point, you may do so. The number is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. If you do have a question or a comment, I think you have to press the one button or so. So the Pope goes and speaks to the United Nations, and clearly he sees the United Nations as a body which is valuable, a potential ally in achieving his overall agenda. Um, he says that, you know, one of the things that it does is it helps to establish international norms regarding human rights and advances in humanitarian law. At the beginning of his speech, you know, he's lauding the group. He's saying, you know, you have helped with this over the last 70 years or so. And if you saw this week in the news, and I think it was thanks to Bill Maher who really got the word out about this, in Saudi Arabia, there's a 17-year-old kid named Ali Mohammed al-Nimir. Nimir? I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. It's N-I-M-R. And this kid is going to be crucified and then beheaded for the supposed crime of attending a political demonstration in favor of democracy in Saudi Arabia, okay, supposedly our ally. So, so much for human rights. And and I believe that Saudi Arabia is on some sort of human rights international UN-sponsored type body. So how disgusting is that? Um, now, let's see. Oh, John in the chat room says here, people of faith are probably better leaders because the vast majority of the population lives a faith-based life. Okay, well, that's something that we can take up. Uh, just Jean is horrified by what I just said. Yeah, it's it's definitely true. This is going on in Saudi Arabia. And so this definitely contradicts the idea of putting Saudi Arabia on any sort of international governing body. Uh, the the disregard for human rights in that country. Of course, that's just a small example of, of what you get. But, yeah, so at the beginning, he is, you know, complimenting the United Nations, how great they are, um, that all of the things that the United Nations has done is, is um, they make these advances in a path towards attaining, he says, the ideal of human fraternity and a means for its greater realization so that the United Nations can do this. And he says, I pay homage to all of those men and women of the United Nations whose loyalty and self-sacrifice have benefited humanity as a whole in the past 70 years. So his standard for those people to whom he will pay homage is someone who has loyalty and self-sacrifice in order to benefit humanity as a whole. Again, think about yourself 
and what you would want for your life, do you see that as the standard by which you judge yourself? This is the standard by which the Pope judges you. Now, he says that the experience of the past 70 years has made it clear that reform and adaptation to the times is always necessary in the pursuit of the ultimate goal of granting all countries, without exception, a share in and a genuine and equitable influence on decision-making processes. So all countries, without exception, go ahead and include that Saudi Arabia that is going to execute by crucifixion and beheading a 17-year-old kid for going to a political demonstration. Nope, they all have to have a share in the decision-making process, you know, because that's, after all, equitable. Yeah, skipping down, he says, to give each his own, to cite the classic definition of justice, means that no human individual or group can consider itself absolute, permitted to bypass the dignity and rights of other individuals or their social groupings. Rights of other other individuals, of course. I don't think that any you know group should be able to bypass the rights. But what is what is the social grouping? What is the right of a group? Continuing, he says the effective distribution of power, political, economic, defense-related, technological, etc., among a plurality of subjects, and the creation of a juridical system for regulating claims and interests are one concrete way of limiting power. So he wants to limit economic power. That basically means steal money from those who have earned it. Uh, He wants to distribute defense-related power. And as we see later, he actually wants, as an ultimate goal, that we should eliminate all nuclear weapons. He wants to do the international equivalent of a ban on guns, but he wants everybody to not be able to have nukes only rogue nations and outlaws are going to have nukes in, I guess, the Pope's ideal world. Because, I'm sorry, he cannot truly believe in his mind that if there is a, quote, global ban on nuclear weapons, that there are not going to be some criminals who thereby keep the weapons and then gain control over the total world. It's just completely unrealistic. So he wants to limit economic power defense-related power, technological power. He wants to limit technological power. If we have wonderful technology that we enjoy and makes our life better here, I guess that has to be limited. We have to distribute that equally among other societies if we haven't done that. We're talking about cyber violence here. Oh, yeah. Saudi Arabia is the chair of the U.N. Human Rights Commission. I knew it was something horrible like that. Craig in the chat room. Welcome, Craig. uh, Reminds us of that. How disgusting is it that Saudi Arabia is the chair of the U.N. Human Rights Commission? And if you doubt me, you think, okay, well, she's some right wing nut job, you know, denouncing Saudi Arabia. It is the Huffington Post. I've linked to the story on my Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook. Huffington Post reported it. Bill Maher is the first one who really kind of you know, brought it to everyone's attention that there is this kid who's going to be crucified and beheaded for participating in a political demonstration in Saudi Arabia, the country that apparently is the chair of the UN Human Rights Commission. How can the Pope get up in front of these people and talk about human rights and how well the body has advanced human rights? It is really 
really disgusting. Um, he says, today's world presents us with many false rights and at the same time broad sectors which are vulnerable, victims of power badly exercised. And then he says, for example, the natural environment and the vast ranks of the excluded. And these are themes that come up throughout this fairly kind of rambling, disorganized speech. But he's talking about the environment, which he actually thinks has rights. The environment has rights. And then he talks about the so-called excluded. If you do not affirmatively include people because you want to deal with them, then I guess you've somehow excluded them unfairly and you are a bad person. He says these sectors are closely interconnected and made increasingly fragile by dominant political and economic relationships. So the idea that political power is somehow used unfairly, it's not enough for him to point that out, something like what's going on in Saudi Arabia, for instance, but it's economic relationships that he thinks the UN needs to step in and exercise some control over. This is what he's going to call for. He says their rights, the the rights of the environment and the excluded, he says, must be forcefully affirmed by working to protect the environment and by putting an end to exclusion. These are the things he wants to do. Now, on what is this so-called right of the environment based? First, he says the environment, there's a right of the environment because we human beings are part of the environment. So he's trying to appeal to you and your interest in enjoying the environment, of living in the environment. He says, we live in communication with it since the environment itself entails ethical limits which human activity must acknowledge and respect. Oh, sorry, he didn't mean because he didn't say communication. I'm sorry, he, he said communion. Communion is not a normal part of my vocabulary, so I am sorry that I misread it as communication. We live in communion with it, he says, since the environment itself entails ethical limits, which human activity must acknowledge and respect. That's a little bit of gibberish to me. You can translate if you want. You can call in for me and tell me. He says, man, for all his remarkable gifts, which are... Uh, signs of uniqueness which transcends the spheres of physics and biology, and he's quoting an authority there. He says, it is at the same time a part of these spheres. He possesses a body shaped by physical, chemical, and biological elements. It can only survive and develop if the ecological environment is favorable. So he's saying we have to have an environment that's favorable to us. The only problem for the Pope on this prong of his argument are the types of arguments that Alex Epstein has been making in his book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, where he talks about the fact that through the so-called exploitation of the environment, through the use of natural resources for us to actually improve our human environment, that we have actually increased the human lifespan and the quality of life. And this is, I mean, this is evidence that there is no way that anybody who goes on the basis of reason could deny. So there's no way that the Pope is going to be able to have this idea of, an, you know, a right to an environment, the idea that we're not supposed to use the things that we find in the so-called environment out there in the natural world. Why can't we use these to our ends? He wants to say there's a right of the environment because 
we human beings live in the environment and we have to survive based on having an environment that's conducive to our survival. That's exactly what we've created by using fossil fuels and, for example, air conditioning. I wouldn't be talking to you right now if I didn't have a good amount of air conditioning going on because I would be way too hot to, to think, for example. But to the, you know, to the Pope, this is probably evil. I shouldn't have it turned down as low as I do right now. So what is the other prong of his argument? Because on this idea that we are living in this environment and it needs to be conducive to our survival, he's wrong. We need to use fossil fuels in order to make our environment more habitable for human beings, safer, cleaner, more enjoyable, more, uh, you know, productivity conducing in every aspect. That's what comes with using the environment. So what is the other prong of his argument? The other prong is this. He says, because every creature, particularly a living creature, has intrinsic value in its existence, its life, its beauty, and its interdependence with other creatures. He says, we Christians, together with the other monotheistic religions, he's trying to tie in and be an authority for everyone, he says, believe that the universe is the fruit of a loving decision by the Creator who permits man respectfully to use creation for the good of his fellow men, and for the glory of the Creator. So, we are permitted by the Creator to use creation, everything here, all the natural world, for the good of our fellow men, not for us. The good of fellow men, it's always got to be for the greater good, and for the glory of the Creator. I guess whatever doesn't fall in the category of good for the fellow men and for the glory of the creator. Uh, maybe the glory of the creator clause there has to do with all the things that people have pointed out in terms of the hypocrisy of the Pope during this week, where the Pope lives in this wonderful palace, and I'm sure he eats the finest food, and he takes like an entire floor of the best hotels. The consumption of the Pope is Huge. Imagine what his actual carbon footprint is, notwithstanding the fact that Jerome Brook was talking about earlier today that in New York, whereas the Pope's sort of, um, God, what do you call that? It begins with a C. I'm tired. But, um, you know, it's not just his car. It's the whole caravan, right? Um, all around him, you call it cavalcade. I forget. Anyway, um, you've got a whole motorcade things going on, but whatever. I'm not getting the exact right word that I want, but he's got the SUVs around him, right? The carbon guzzling SUVs. And then the Pope himself was apparently in a little tiny Fiat. Your own said he grabbed a, a picture. Um, he can pretend he lives an environmentally friendly lifestyle, but I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, you know, you can use it for the good of your fellow man and for the glory of the creator. So he'll say that, you know, if his carbon footprint is, is large, for an individual, it's only because it's for the glory of the Creator and for the good of fellow men. You know, it's not really for Him. Continuing, the Pope says that we are not authorized to abuse the environment, much less destroy it. He says, in all religions, the environment is a fundamental good. So, if He didn't get you on the first prong, where you are, you know, convinced that you need to act to preserve the environment because otherwise damaging it is going to damage us 
as we are part of it, uh, then he's going to go ahead and appeal to religion directly. You are permitted under religion only to respectfully use the creation for the good of your fellow man and for the glory of the creator. Therefore, there is an, a right to the environment. He says, um, now if we misuse and destroy the environment, this is also accompanied, he says, by a relentless process of exclusion. So we have a, quote, selfish and boundless thirst for power and material prosperity. And we are thereby misusing natural resources and we are excluding the weak and disadvantaged in doing so. So it is unfair. <sighs> Freedom Breeze says, I was encouraged on Pamela Geller's blog. Uh, there were some 250 comments against the Pope. And on Geller's blog, I think the what they were mostly focusing on are the Pope's comments about how Islam is a religion of peace, that the Quran also teaches peace. And Geller who's well-versed in Islam, knows that that's just not the case. You know, again, it, it's it's very separate, the attitude that you would have towards people who profess to be adherents to a particular religion. So, for example, you know, there are people who are Muslims that I perfectly would get along with, fine, no problem. But if you actually go to the fundamentals of the doctrine itself, it is actually it's not teaching what people are representing that it actually does you i've read the quran from cover to cover i have seen the passages myself as has geller and so that's why i mean the pope he is an educated man no doubt he's read it he should know better and yet he's out there misrepresenting the nature of this he is to his credit calling for the islamic heads of state you know like uh, turkey's uh, president and he wants all the Islamic leaders to get together and denounce violence in the name of Islam. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I mean, maybe he knows he's calling, uh, making a futile call. The Pope in his speech to the UN denounced today's widespread and quietly growing so-called culture of waste. It is a culture of waste insofar as we are consuming resources for anything other than our fellow man or the glory of the creator, then it's a culture of waste. So what is he practically calling for, right? He's saying there's this right of the environment that when we're consuming these things, we're also excluding the disadvantaged. What is his agenda? He says that he is encouraging by all the nations the adoption of the so-called 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development at the World Summit, which opens today. Um, he thinks that if people will adopt this, then that's fine. He says he's similarly confident that the Paris Conference on Climatic Change climatic change, will secure fundamental and effective agreements. What sort of things are being called for in these? You can imagine it is the same things that Ted Cruz has been talking about. What do environmentalists want? They want the government whether it be internationally or domestically, but the Pope is getting behind international control of energy, the whole energy sector worldwide, economies, and, of course, every aspect of our lives. They want, and he says he wants fundamental and effective agreements. He wants 
governments around the world to use force to keep us from using, you know, resources for anything other than those things that he, in effect, approves as a representative, of course, of the the creator. I mean, who's going to decide? Apparently him. I guess he's, you know, putting his stamp of approval on these particular measures at the Agenda for Sustainable Development, etc. He says solemn commitments are not enough. He says our world demands of all government leaders a will which is effective, practical, and constant, concrete steps and immediate measures for preserving and improving the natural environment and thus putting an end as quickly as possible to the phenomenon of social and economic exclusion. Now he brings in social exclusion with its baneful consequences. Human trafficking, the marketing of human organs and tissues, sexual exploitation of boys and girls, slave labor, including prostitution, the drug and weapons trade, terrorism, and international organized crime. All of these, I guess he attributes to the wrongful exploitation of the so-called environment and I guess also a you know wrongful use of so-called economic power um, you know the idea that we actually have a free market that allows us to have wealth and some people I guess around there have poverty he he cites in effect also with um, with regard to terrorism that poverty is a cause of terrorism according to this uh, Pope. So he ties everything in together. We have unrestricted use of the environment. This results in exclusion. Then there's poverty. Then there's human trafficking and prostitution and drug and weapons trades and terrorism and international organized crime. All these things could be fixed if you just gave the Pope enough control over our international uh, governing body. Now he says in a very hard to understand passage we have to avoid every temptation to fall into a declarationist nominalism which would assuage our consciousness our consciences so i guess if you were to say that really all that we need to do is protect individual rights suppose we say that that really the proper type of government protects individual rights and that these act if we actually do protect individual rights consistently that this is going to result in the optimal level of you know consumption of resources and you know we can draw all sorts of economic graphs to prove this and we could tell the pope moreover you know capitalism throughout history has been an engine of wealth creation and progress and it will minimize poverty. No, no, no. This would be, I think, according to him, if you were actually going to promote individual rights as a principle that could solve these problems, I think he would call that declarationist nominalism. We Nominalism is just this idea that you just sort of conveniently name something a certain way to suit your own prejudices and desires. He says, we need to ensure that our institutions are truly effective in the struggle against all of these scourges. He also says that the number and complexity of the problems require that we possess technical instruments of verification. And when I read that, I thought, okay, the Pope is coming out for the NSA and bulk data collection. That's what technical instruments of verification sound like. But I don't think he quite has that in mind. And he starts to go on about, you know, having 
all sorts of um, goals, objectives, and statistical indicators to see whether you're meeting your goals. Um, but he says, uh, let me see here, I've, I've got a, a set of notes that are on my computer. He says, uh, political and economic activity is only effective when it is understood, and this is a very important point for him, as a prudential activity. So all political and economic activity is only effective when it's understood as a prudential activity. That means it has to be a means to a certain end only. And what does it have to be guided by? It says it's guided by a perennial concept of justice and constantly conscious of the fact that above and beyond our plans and programs, we are dealing with real men and women who live, struggle, and suffer and are often forced to live in great poverty deprived of all rights, end quote. Now, you step in when he talks about poverty, right? He's saying that, you know, it's bad in effect that people are exploiting resources and excluding others in a way that supposedly creates poverty. Poverty is bad. We should not do this. But didn't he, when he went to Cuba and he saw the poverty created by socialism, he said that we're supposed to embrace poverty like we embrace our mothers or love poverty like we love our mothers? Yeah. Uh, Flycatch in the chat room says, without capitalism, there would be no freedom in the world. And that is, of course, true because capitalism is the system that is the protection of, you know, it's the institution of the protection of individual rights including private property rights, and it is the creation of the most free system in the entire world. Yeah, without capitalism, there wouldn't. Um, Is there freedom somewhere in the world? The most free place apparently is Hong Kong, and I have been jealous because I have one Facebook friend who had a birthday and went to visit Hong Kong for his birthday, and he and his girlfriend are there, and apparently they're just having a fabulous time, and he's describing how fantastic Hong Kong is. Hong Kong has the freest economy in the world, according to, you know, some of these like heritage and whoever they measure uh, economic and different various types of freedom around the world. Hong Kong, of course, enjoys this freedom at the pleasure of China. And so how long is it actually going to be allowed to go on? I don't know. But I guess China happens to think it's good that economy, you know, the economy there is so prosperous that it is such an engine of wealth creation that China no doubt benefits from. So they allow it to be that way. But yeah, China, um, I can't remember what number two is. I think number three is New Zealand. There is relative freedom in places in the world. Most free place apparently is Hong Kong. Okay. Okay. Now, what do we have to do to allow, uh, to enable, enable real men and women to escape from poverty? We have to allow them to be dignified agents of their own destiny, and we'll learn what that entails in a little bit. One thing that he wants to make sure is that there is a right to education, and he does say also for girls, right? Because he realizes, yes, for girls it's excluded in certain places. I assume that he does not approve of that. He sort of mentions it in a way that's a little bit ambiguous in the text here. He just says also for girls excluded in certain places. Now, I think he I think his ideal is that you know, all all girls would also be given this education. Now, he says that would be ensured first and foremost by respecting and reinforcing the primary right of the family to educate the children, etc. But then he says he talks about education conceived in this way as having a right to education. 
He says this is the basis for the implementation of the 2030 Agenda and for reclaiming the environment. So clearly, he has indoctrination in mind that he thinks that part of this education that we all have a right to is going to consist of implanting in us the ideas that are going to make us sympathetic to the right of the environment, uh, something that I'm certainly not sympathetic to at this point right now. Government leaders, he says, have to do everything possible to ensure that all can have the minimum spiritual and material means needed to live in dignity. And this is where he brings in uh, something Jerome Brooke mentioned earlier. The the three is lodging, labor, and land. The three L's, lodging, labor, and land. And we are supposed to get all of this, apparently, courtesy of government if we don't already have it. Some minimum amount dictated by whom, I don't know, some authority gets to do it. We need to have, he says, effective, practical, and immediate access on the part of all to essential, material, and spiritual goods. And he says these are housing, dignified and properly remunerated employment, adequate food and drinking water, religious freedom, except for, I guess, under Obamacare, right? And more generally, spiritual freedom and education. These are rights that we should all have according to the Pope. And these are things that United Nations should work to ensure is distributed worldwide. He says the, the you know these pillars of integral human development have a common foundation. He says it is the right to life and more generally what we could call the right to the existence of human nature itself. And the ironic thing is is that of course if he wants to say that everyone is supposed to have effective, practical, and immediate access to material goods, then he is contradicting the right to life, properly understood. Because what is a right? As you know, as Rand explained, if you think of having a right, it is a right to take an action. And what is the right to life? The right to live life, to live life as a human being. Human nature means living according to your own judgment and everything that he's said in terms of people having the right to be given housing to be given dignified and properly remunerated employment sorry it's late um, adequate food and drinking water etc all of these things that the person can't necessarily produce for himself that means somebody else is producing it for him and that person has lost his own right to life and his right to exist as a human being, acting according to his own judgment and giving accordingly. The misuse of creation, Pope Francis is quoting from an authority here. He says, the misuse of creation begins when we no longer recognize any instance above ourselves, when we see nothing else but ourselves. The idea of having your own rational self-interest in mind, that would lead you to the misuse of creation. Again, remember, for him, if we are using creation, God's creation, this world, we are allowed to use it only for the better of other people or for the glory of God. We will be misusing it if we're using it for ourselves. 
And what do we need to do? We have to have immediate implementation of all of these pillars of integral integral human development. Uh, we need to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, promote social progress, and better standards of living in larger freedom, which he thinks he can do by force via the United Nations. He says, war is the negation of all rights and a dramatic assault on the environment. And he says, what we need to do, we need to ensure the uncontested rule of law and a tireless recourse to negotiation, mediation, and arbitration as proposed by the Charter of the United Nations, which constitutes truly a fundamental juridical norm. Um, What do we need to do? We need to use negotiation, mediation, and arbitration, not war. In other words, appeasement. And he goes on to, in effect, endorse the um, deal with Iran. He says, there is an urgent need to work for a world free of nuclear weapons in full application of the non-proliferation treaty in letter and spirit with the goal of a complete prohibition of these weapons. He wants to prohibit nuclear weapons worldwide the way that some governments have and the way that our government, or at least some people in our government, would like to prohibit guns. And again, then who would have these weapons? Only the criminals and the rogue nations and groups. He says, the recent agreement reached on the nuclear question in a sensitive region of Asia and the Middle East. Note he doesn't even name Iran by name. That's how lame he is. He says, this is proof of the potential of political goodwill and of law exercised with sincerity, patience, and constancy. He says, I express my hope that this agreement will be lasting and efficacious. Notice he he used the word hope. Hope is a terrible word to use in the context of somebody potentially having a nuclear weapon that can destroy you and everything that you care about. Hope. My grandmother used to say, my grandmother, by the way, was a lapsed Catholic. I would have loved to have talked with her about this visit of Pope Francis. I think it would have been a fun conversation. Unfortunately, she's not around. But she used to say, hope is just a little bit better than despair. Why? It's positive. It's based on nothing. And I say here that the Pope's hope is based on absolutely nothing. How about this? Here's a. This is very cheesy. I'm sorry. It's late. The Pope's hope makes him a dope on a rope. Do you remember the dope on the rope thing? Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, it's supposed to be soap on a rope. Well, I call him a dope on a rope. Okay, whatever. Um, so he says he wants the agreement to be lasting, efficacious. It's going to bring forth the desired fruits with the cooperation of all parties involved, etc. Um, he says, you know, we have seen evidence of the negative effects of military and political interventions which are not coordinated between members of the international community. I take this, that part, as code for, you know, the fact that Israel should not try to defend itself against total annihilation by Iran. Israel should just sit by and hope, like the Pope does, that this agreement doesn't turn out in the total destruction of Israel. Real human beings, he says, take precedence over partisan interests, however legitimate the latter may be. This is the idea that you're going to just look at human beings and their needs and their demands and try to ignore ideology, that somehow whatever 
partisan interests, whatever ideas there might be behind politics, those aren't important. And you, you know, somehow you would see ideas and interests as apart from human beings. He definitely knows that there's some dominant ideas out there that are antithetical to what he wants. Human genius, he says, well applied, will help to meet the grave challenges of ecological deterioration and exclusion. And then he says, though, the real danger comes from man who has at his disposal ever more powerful instruments that are as well fitted to bring about ruin as they are to achieve lofty conquests. So all of these wonderful things that we have, iPhones, everybody out there getting the iPhone 6? I'm getting all kinds of commentary here in the chat room. Thanks to those who... So I've got a comment on my voice. My voice today is partly a product of a cold, I'm sorry to say. So maybe it's something very different here. Um, universal fraternity is something that he upholds. The sacredness of created nature... And he says that our understanding of the sacredness of created nature uh, calls for a higher degree of wisdom, one which accepts transcendence, rejects the creation of an all-powerful elite, and recognizes that the full meaning of individual and collective life is found in, and here's the key, selfless service to others, and in the sage and respectful use of creation for the common good. Serve others, use creation for the common good respectfully, and that is all that we as human beings are allowed to do. You should know your place if you are properly pious. He calls us to set aside partisan and ideological interests and to sincerely strive to serve the common good. Um, he assures all of the assembled body there that you've got the support and his prayers. And he says, the support and prayers of all the faithful of the Catholic Church. So understood, you know, and understand here, if you're Catholic, he got before the United Nations and he ensured that body that the support and prayers of all the faithful of the Catholic Church went with him and everything that he expressed in this speech. He's speaking for you. Uh, no, let's see. Oh, we're talking about Trump here. We'll get. We can get to Trump. No, I, no. Thank you for the compliment, Flycatch. There, that I thank you. Um, my voice is normally okay, but I'm. I actually was told by someone uh, that I had a crush on in high school that when I had a cold, that was when my voice was the best. So I'm always conscious of the fact that having a cold, I guess, is the ideal way. For me to do radio. I'm a little bit medicated right now as well in terms of decongestants and stuff. So let let me um as, as I said, you know, Ted Cruz has been really good about talking about environmentalists and what environment environmentalists always propose. And of course, what the Pope here is proposing is to control the energy sector the entire economy, and every aspect of our lives. If you've heard Ted Cruz speak on environmentalists, both the type that used to call for this stuff in the 70s when it was global cooling that they were upset about, and now when it's global warming that they're upset about, what are they calling for? Control the energy sector, the economy, and every aspect of our lives. 
And that is what the Pope is calling for. He even wants the right of education, education understood so as to prepare people for submission to what he calls the right of the environment. So how is someone who is religious going to reconcile their disagreement with a you know very convincing authority in religion the pope a very inspiring authority to many people how are you going to consistently reject the pope's call for international control is isn't it the right thing if we really are just stewards of God's creation, and we really should be using it only for the common good. We know that the standard of the common good has been around for Catholics and Christians way back to at least Thomas Aquinas, if not before. You know, Aquinas is one of the best of, of the Catholics, but he said that law is always ordered to the common good. That is the standard. Um, how can you resist this? You know, he's saying, look, we are not being good stewards of of the environment. Uh, we need to limit this. And that that's really what, this is really why I see the Pope's visit and the things that he says is a danger. A lot of people are thinking that once the Pope leaves, it's sort of like church on Sundays for many people. Once the Pope leaves, they'll kind of forget about it and then they'll go back about their business and they're going to continue leading lives, pursuing their own happiness in contradiction with what the Pope is calling for here. But, In effect, he is asking you to take faith seriously, right? Apart from your reason, what would your reason say? Your reason would say, use your mental faculties to the best of your ability to further your life and enjoy your life here on earth. But he's saying, no, you have this duty to a creator, and this is something that you must take on faith. Uh, Sacrifice, the call for sacrifice. This is not something that we would get by our own reason, why should you sacrifice? You should sacrifice only because you are called to by some sort of faith in a superior being or maybe the collective if you want the secularized version. But these calls by the Pope are antithetical to every component of the American sense of life. So what I want to do here is I want to go through a few of the components of the American sense of life that Rand talked about in the essay, Don't Let It Go. And that essay, again, can be found in the book called Philosophy, Who Needs It? You can grab it through my handy-dandy Amazon link at don'tletitgo.com if you don't have it already. But let me just give you a few of the aspects that are relevant here. First of all, Rand talked about the fact that an American implicitly rejects any idea of belonging to the state or belonging to any other type of collective. Instead, an American sees himself, she says, as an independent entity. You would never accept some sort of subservient role versus the Pope. Listen what the Pope says again, you know, above. This is from the speech. He says, creation is compromised, quote, where we ourselves have the final word. He says, the misuse of creation begins when we no longer recognize any instance above ourselves, when we see nothing but ourselves. So if you see yourself as an independent entity in the truly American spirit, then you are really contradicting the religious mindset, according to the Pope. Um, Moreover, if you're converting nature to your own end, 
to make your life more comfortable and more enjoyable and longer, then you are misusing creation. You're allowed to do it only to benefit your fellow man or for the glory of God. Uh, Another aspect, a second aspect of the American sense of life is to congratulate, to you know, compliment those who have made money out of their own personal effort, who have achieved great things through their own personal effort. Money and achievement, these are celebrated in the United States in the truly American tradition. Money earned by personal effort is something to be proud of, but not according to the Pope. For him, if you earned money by your own effort, you likely earned it either excluding others or somehow destroying the environment. And what you should do is you should embrace poverty and you should love poverty like you love your mother. You know, achievement is fine perhaps, but insofar as you're achieving things, you should see it only as a tool to be used in service of the common good. From the speech again, quote, political and economic activity, economic activity, all the achievement in the free market, he says, is only effective when it is understood as a prudential activity guided by the perennial concept of justice, you know, etc. It's got to be for the common good. It's got to be in the stewardship of the creator. Individual initiative is something else that Rand identified as unique to the American sense of life, as characteristic of the American sense of life, individual initiative. No, says the Pope. Instead, you must know your place. Any attempt that you make to tailor your physical environment to best suit your survival has to be regulated by those who know better what the Creator has given you permission to do. You are just a steward of the environment for others and for the glory of the Creator, and He, the Pope, will tell you when you've gone beyond what you should be doing. You should know your place, according to the Pope. Another question that Rand asks with regard to the American sense of life, she asks, uh, do you live emotionally in a world made by others? Or do you instead, like Americans, have the attitude, quote, the world began when I was born and the world is mine to win? And that, of course, is from The Westerner by Badger Clark. You certainly can't have that latter attitude, the Badger Clark attitude, if you take religion seriously as the Pope does. The world, you know, the Pope tells us it's not for human beings. You are subservient to God's will. You're subservient to the common good. You are a mere steward of the so-called natural environment. To have that attitude, the world was, you know, began when I was born, the world is mine to win. That is not the attitude of somebody who is a mere steward of the environment for his fellow man or for the glory of God. And, of course, if the Pope has his way, the right to education is going to translate into governmental indoctrination. I assume the Westerner by Badger Clark would never be taught in such a world if he had anything to say about it. What about happy, being happy? Rand talked about the fact that Americans were characteristically happy in a way that Europeans, at least at the time that she was writing this in the 60s, actually I think early 70s, 71 or so, uh, were not. Happiness. What does that result from? It results from the achievement of your own chosen personal goals and values. 
But what place would this have, true happiness, for the Pope, who says, again, your main objective is to be of service to others? From the speech, I'm quoting again, quote, the full meaning, the full meaning of individual and collective life is found in selfless service to others and in the sage and respectful use of creation for the common good. The idea that you have personal goals and values that you've chosen simply because they are important to you. And I'm not talking about, you know, having a personal goal that you want to sacrifice others to yourself to achieve. I'm just talking about you're refusing to sacrifice yourself to others and you're refusing this idea that the resources in the world are not things that you are able to use and that you are entitled to use for your own uh, enjoyment and comfort. The Pope is rejecting this idea that you can pursue and achieve goals and values of your own choosing and thereby obtain happiness. No. For him, the full meaning, the full meaning of individual and collective life is found in selfless service to others and in the sage and respectful use of creation for the common good. As I've said many times on the show, the thing that makes America distinctive is the right to the pursuit of happiness. It's of one own, one's own individual happiness. And what the Pope's visit and the speeches are illustrating is that this, this essence of Americanism, is incompatible with religion insofar as you take religion seriously. There are many people who don't take religion as seriously as the Pope does. But this really is the essence, right? What is the thing that makes religion distinctive as a philosophy by which you choose to guide your life? It is faith over reason, you know, reason being the faculty that we use to gain human knowledge of this earth. If you're going to go primarily by reason, that is going to entail individual rights, including the right to the pursuit of happiness, okay? If you're going to be choosing faith, you're going to be choosing faith over that, or unless you try to maintain a contradiction, as our founding fathers tried to maintain, as I see Ted Cruz trying to maintain today. He is doing, as far as I can tell, an excellent job of compartmentalization because he's one of the best candidates out there. On some things, I just want to cheer about what he says, and then on other things, he sounds like the Pope. How does he maintain that? I don't know, but these are actually A and non-A. Um, insofar as you are acknowledging reason as our basic means of human survival and the necessity of rights to achieve that, you are in contradiction with faith taken to its logical extreme, which is exactly what the Pope is advocating in, in front of the UN. Um, so... There's that. And then, of course, the call for sacrifice. Religion in its you know, fundamental extreme form always calls for sacrifice. How can you maintain that it's okay to have laissez-faire capitalism, that we should, for instance, reduce taxes extremely, if not completely you know, abolish some of the welfare programs and things like this, if your duty really is to sacrifice for others? But there are. There are many people who don't take it that seriously. Now, on Cargate, a few a couple weeks ago, I had the Religious Liberty versus Liberty show where I was just taking that one aspect of, you know, what, what is going on in religion today, religious liberty. But Ankar made the point, if religion is good, 
then why don't you take it to the extreme? And then if you decide it's bad, why don't you reject it completely? If you don't like what the Pope is saying here, then why don't you reject it completely? Why do you take a little mixture of one versus the other? It's an interesting question. But if you you know, look at what the Pope is saying and you take it seriously and you take and consider these various aspects of the American sense of life, this is an implicit philosophy that is keeping us from totalitarianism, from statism, you can see that they're contradictory. And what is the Pope calling for, in effect? He's calling for a world statist government based on the principles of environmental rights and non-exclusion. So, in any event, um, this is kind of my little diatribe. Now, this is not the only way that I have seen this week in which you know religion is damaging uh, America. Um, other ways that we've seen in the past week have to do with the Islamic religion. Uh, you know, the Pope, of course, believes that he speaks in essence for all of the monotheistic religions, including Islam, when he's saying these things about the environment and exclusion, and etc. And I think many of the Islamic leaders would agree. But just to give you, you know, a couple things that we could talk about this week with respect to Islam, uh, one is the story of Ahmed Muhammad and the clock. It seems that there has been somewhat of a, a hoax or something going on with this clock because the clock is apparently something that he just sort of took apart or took out of its case and put into a different case and that he was really trying to get teachers to make some sort of a stink about it and then of course now he's made this whole uh you know media campaign and everything else and he's been invited to the White House and he's he and his family now I now I gather he he's so traumatized by being invited on all these shows and being invited to Google and accepted at MIT before he's even ready and given all the free goodies by I think Microsoft and other people he's given a whole bunch of loot that he posed in front of right didn't he look traumatized in all those pictures, right? But he's so traumatized that he's now had to hire an attorney. And I think the goal is they want to make it so that nobody in the United States, when they see a Muslim student in a school doing anything suspicious, you're not supposed to say anything more. It used to be, you know, see something, say something. There's this thing. It looks sort of like a bomb. Hmm, maybe we should say something. You're not supposed to. They want to try to create this environment where everyone is going to be you know, afraid to be called an Islamophobe and therefore make us less safe against jihadist attacks because, mind you, what is it? We're going to be keep bringing in all of these so-called refugees, some of whom we're told are going to be members of ISIS infiltrating into our country. There's, there's going to be more of this, so less safe. Um, another way in which Islam, just in the last week, has served to try to, you know, attack some of our American values. Uh, one of our American values is actually to have schools that operate and teach people and don't close down all the time. Apparently, in New Jersey, there are some Muslims who are very upset because even though they can get excused from school for Muslim holidays, right, you know, School districts are very lenient about 
giving children excused absences for Muslim holidays, they're very upset that the school won't close down entirely in honor of their holiday. They want to force that issue. And there's a video out there of a woman who's saying, you know, we're going to be the majority pretty soon, you know, so you're just going to have to learn to live with it or something in some sort of a threatening way. And and the idea is, you know, you must close down your school and cease all education on behalf of our holidays celebrating our, you know, mystical being that doesn't exist in the in the sky and, you know, attacking the pursuit of knowledge here in the United States. So those are just a couple of examples. Um, in Los Angeles, there's been two different uh, members of Islamic royalty, one from Qatar and one from Saudi Arabia, who have committed disgusting criminal acts in the city of Los Angeles, I guess thinking that they're going to get away with diplomatic immunity. A Saudi prince guilty probably of raping at least one woman, maybe up to five different women. And then there was this Qatari prince who was drag racing through the streets of Beverly Hills repeatedly, just totally, you know, in just total disregard of stop signs or safety or kids or anything else. Uh, Fox in the chat room says, I'd like to know where she got the idea that we're going to be the majority soon. There is apparently, you know, among uh, Muslims, this idea that they're going to conquer us with the wombs of their women, so to speak. That's the that's that's the mythology there. Um, now, I focused with regard to the Pope on the you know speech at the UN, and again, the speech at the UN was focused on the environmental issue and the exclusion of other people. You know, the idea, it, it, you know, and again, look at that contradiction because. He's saying it's so bad that you're doing these things that leave other people in poverty. And then when he was speaking to people who were in poverty due to socialism, which is the very sort of idea that he's pushing, he tells them that they should love poverty like they love their mother. If poverty is so good, why is he saying that it's bad that people are subjected to poverty? I mean, you know, maybe he could, you know, they're supposed to embrace it, right? But you know, let's not talk about those contradictions. The the other, um, it, it was funny. There was a piece by Dr. Hurd this week, Dr. Michael Hurd, and he was saying, "What you're supposed to love poverty like you love your mother." And he says, "Well, maybe it's like you love your abusive mother who doesn't feed you and everything else." And he made that analogy, which was pretty good. Um, pig fan in the chat uh, chat room. He says, "We're going to be the majority soon." He says, "Remember what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar." said in response to Ben Carson that Muslim-majority countries should be governed by Sharia and we have nothing to worry about. Okay, interesting. Um, and, and as I said, with respect to Islam, the Pope was complimentary of Islam this week, and that is what upset Pamela Geller and other people who otherwise would respect the Pope. I think she's probably having a, a pretty tough time reconciling that with her particular personal values. But this is why I'm pressing you. You know, if if you find yourself, you know, drawn to Catholic or other religions that are compatible with what the Pope is saying, you know, I, I press you, take take a look at it. Take it what he he's literally calling for and try to tell me why you reject it without rejecting his core ideas. Hi, who's this? 
Bosch. Bosch, so you called in. Welcome. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. So you released your Infidel comic on Wednesday, right? Yes, I did. So how are the sales uh, and everything going for that? Well, they were going great, but uh, for those who are listening and who haven't gotten their their copy yet, uh, there are no more available. Uh, ISIS, uh, you know, wiped them all out. So I'm sorry, but you know, I, if that the the if uh, the feel, ISIS the ISIS hackers have gone. Hmm? Yeah, if you don't feel good about that, then <laughs> the only thing you could do is go get it right now. I'm joking. After the show. Uh, it's doing well. It's um, okay. Wait, wait. So you're you're than, joking. You're joking. They haven't been wiped I'm out. I'm joking. I'm joking. Have been wiped out. But what I'm uh, saying is, if you want to get it, if you've been holding it off, if you put it, putting it off for a reason, get it now, because it's uh, my my comic is, is it's on uh it's on this uh, top seller list. Out of 42 pages, it's on page 15 at the moment, which is the highest I've gotten uh, for any of my comics. Okay, so this is, very good. this is Comixology, and, and what is Comixology? It's basically, it's a digital comic book reading platform, the biggest in the world. It's a website, they have an app, you can read it on your iPhones, on your ebook readers, on the computer itself, whatever. And Marvel Comics, DC Comics, everything goes. I mean, and, you know, I'm right, uh, I'm next to Batman, Superman, my comics, I mean, it's just, it's, uh, I'm part of this, uh, a grouping called Submit. How fitting is that? Submit. It's Comicology right. comic Submit. It's for independent creators like me uh, with no real publisher. It's self, self-publishers, more or less. And on that um, uh, on that list, I'm number two. Uh, I'm the second best-selling on the Submit category. So your, your comic, your, wait, so your comic is currently rated number two of yeah. all the independently submitted comics to Comixology yeah. this week. Yeah. So that's pretty good. So what's number that's one? Who beat, who beat you? Um, it's, uh, what is it called? Smut something. Smut. smut. Something to do with smut. Literally smut. Yeah. So smut won out over Pigman. Yes, exactly. Even though, you know, some, some something, it shouldn't even be that high. You know. The, and, the and then, and then you said there's there's about about 15 pages or so of comics that are above yours in yeah, the exactly. in general. And so the in general in, in general inc- includes all of the Marvel, Marvel comics. And, and, and right now it's it's Batman Day today. It was Pigman Day the old day, the 23rd, which uh, Obama actually announced in my uh, <laughs> in my drawing in my cartoon or in my my website. Right. I, I don't know if people are listening, but I I I had real fun doing some no budget ad campaign, and I made some I, I made Obama promoting my work, I made Trump promoting my work. I should I should have made the Pope, you know? I might do that actually. I might do that. The Pope at the UN promoting uh the infidel, the the new issue. By the way, that guy is very creepy. He's very creepy. Every time I see him, every time yes, his voice is creepy as hell. He looks creepy. He looks very weird. He's like he's like a religious communist. That's why the left loves him, because he's right. a true. He's like a, a Kantian. He's a, he's. I mean, he's just. He's evil, is what he is. I and mean, the this is he's been this saying. is really what I you know the the thing that worries you and and I do sort of wonder. I wonder you know if the Pope's visit somehow spurred Boehner into retirement because he just can't handle he the contradiction that. and the lie that he's living right. 
he said that it has that it contributed. He said that literally, and he was crying while the Pope was uh, was spewing his his stuff. And look, anyone anyone religious listening, it is what it is. This guy to me, he's a con man. I mean, he really is, and he's uh, he's a leftist. He's you know, a I did. I saw. Communist. I saw. You know, there were there were two people who had the same sort of self-satisfied smirk on their face this week yes. about what's going over on the country with religion. And it was yes. him and it was that Ahmed Muhammad kid. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. They had, they had this Actually, little grin all of like they're getting you, away with something. Bosh, Bosh, could you make yeah. some sort of a graphic with both of them having, or not a, just a graphic, just a juxtaposition of photos of the two of them. Yeah, they're getting away with a look. Satisfied smirk. Yeah, they're getting away with a look. Yeah, it's like using their religion as a club to control other people. That is what both Absolutely of them. Right. Are, that's what they're Absolutely both. Right. And and what I mean, what what you did actually just just reading his speech because I'll tell you one thing: a lot of the listeners maybe didn't even pay attention. If now, my pay attention to what speech, he said. I skipped, I skipped a lot. That. He had a long speech. I know it was that. Like, no, was you can't do it all. But what I'm saying is, you, if you pay attention, you realize how evil some of the stuff he's saying is. I mean, you oh, you yeah. realize it. And you say, wait a minute, that's not my life. That's not how I live my life. That's not how I want to live my life. Even religion in this country, even in America. This I mean, doesn't you know, like again, America. again, go back you know, and think about this and, and see if this rings true for you because this is really what the essence of religion is. He says the full meaning of individual and collective life is found in selfless service to others and in the sage and respectful use of creation for the common good. Now, why? Because epistemologically, in terms of knowledge, what it, you know, in terms of how where you get knowledge from, you're supposed to get your knowledge by means of faith. Yes. And faith That's tells right. you faith tells you that you are just a steward of the creation for the creator. And so you can use it only for the glory of the creator and for your fellow you man. Know what else, That's it. You know what else faith tells you? You know what else faith tells you? It mm. tells you you can fly planes into buildings and enter paradise. Right. That's what faith tells you. It tells you you can do that, and that's fine. I mean, don't worry about that. It's thousands of people that you're murdering. That doesn't matter because you're going to heaven. Uh, and that's that's why 9-11 was an act of faith. It absolutely was. I mean, they called yeah, it's an act of war, but it was an, also an act of faith, and people wanted to get away from that real quick. That's why the Pope has to say Islam means peace and all that crap, because it doesn't. It's It is a religion. And it is violent, and it is uh, the most violent ideology on earth today, and it happens to be a religion. And he wants to say, no, that's not the case, because I don't want to have Islam impugn all religion. So therefore, Islam needs peace, and that's that. It's disgusting. And he's selling now, out. They, uh, um, actually, there's, um, there's a guy here in the chat room who asked a question. What's worse, a religious capitalist or an atheist liberal? Now, that is a dilemma. And so I could tell you right now, because we have a religious capitalist in the, you know, the embodiment of Whoa. Ted Cruz. Cruz is yes. there, the religious capitalist. And then you have the atheist liberal. Who I, I, think Barack, I think Barack Obama is actually some kind of atheist or agnostic. No, no, I don't think he's, look, look, look. As I don't I think he's it, actually either he's, Christian no, I, or Muslim or anything else. No, as I put it, he's an atheist with a hard spot for Islam. Who's, pre- who's pretending to be a Christian in order to get American votes? That's the only why. That's the only reason why I became a called Christian. Because and we I, are, I, a, we are right. a largely Christian nation. Right, a, a right. Christian nation. That's the only reason. No, why. That's, that's why he did that. But so, so to answer the question, I definitely take Cruz. Absolutely. Over so, someone like Obama. Because the fact is, yeah. a capitalist understands a fundamental issue. 
the left, the leftist atheist really doesn't. They're anti-capitalism. So they could do some good overall. They could do a lot of good. They might have some real contradictions. They might do like, like, like Ted Cruz. He's mostly very, very good. And then he has his problems. But I think his dominant thrust is that he's good. He's far better than, than he's bad. Right. And, you know, Ted Cruz's sense of life lines up with these various aspects yes. that I've been talking about here tonight. You know, again, yep. the idea that you see yourself as an independent entity, you're not subservient, uh, yep. you know, necessarily to any higher collective. Um, but there are also elements, you know, he, I mean, he, he exudes the attitude of the world began when I was wor- born and the world is mine to win. Yes. Um, you know, he also... He, he, he enjoys also. It looks like he enjoys what he's doing. He enjoys life. He, he's always got a little chuckle when people try to come after him. I like it. I mean, yeah. You know, well, Obama, and he also, he, Obama he can't exhibits, do that. He exhibits individual initiative, right? He's the one who comes yeah. up with all these crazy strategies for forcing yeah. government shutdowns when none of his colleagues in the Republican Party can ever see anything like that. So, yeah. you know, this, uh, and yes, he does. He seems he seems definitely happy in the like a, a jolly person. So, you know, his core attitude seems to contradict a lot of what the Pope has said in the yeah. speech. So how does he maintain this contradiction? It, it, it's hard for me to say. I, I mean, wouldn't it be much easier to be consistent and actually embrace a total consistent philosophy that, you know, provided the justification and the reason for the pursuit of happiness, you know, the right to the pursuit yep. of happiness that so many Americans uphold can be defended. And, and, you know, you you can have a whole philosophical understanding that would be consistent with it and would support it and would make, you know, your life happier and better. Um, But, you know, this this is a long-winded thing. But, no, I mean, Cruz is definitely, you know, miles above a a Barack Obama. And Barack Obama, I mean, to, to me, he just, he does not seem like you know, a, a positive, benevolent person in no way. way. No, you know what? You know what? His smiles and his laughter are very ugly, Barack Obama. If you notice it, he has this big, ugly grin because he's getting away with something. It's not out of joy. He has a nasty smile, like getting away Actually, with something. Actually, if, if, you, if you could get that same look on the picture, you could have the three. <laughs> right. The, the kid. Right. And, and, that, uh, and that little Pope. punk, uh, that, that little punk, Ahmed Muhammad. Uh, you guys got to check out uh, Gavin McGinnis did a video for Rebel Media. Uh, he skewered the punk and his whole family and the whole you know miserable plot that they uh, concocted. It's really good. You got to you got to check it out. It's on Rebel Media. Gavin McGinnis. It's excellent. It's fun. I mean, it's a little profane for those who don't like profanity. Maybe you know, but it's hilarious. It's great. But just 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 one thing about about Pigman. Yeah, it's it's out. It's a third issue. You know, uh, basically, Pigman exists because I forced it into a world that doesn't want it. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, cobble companies might give it an opportunity, give it a shot. Uh, a number of years ago, none, none have picked it up. Now, so why the only is it? Now, I have, explain, explain though, Bosch, because there's a number of people who have just kind of tuned in here. For people who okay. don't know, what does Pigman do that the comic book companies yeah. don't want to see happen? Well, it tells the truth about this evil that we're facing in Islam. 
and told the truth about uh, those behind 9-11, that they were completely in sync with Islam, that they're devout Muslims coming after us. And as he puts it, they've come to kill us and will die for it. That's what he says on 9-11. And what does Pig Man do? What does Pig Man do in practice then? He basically, he, he, was, he was writing against Islam for years. He was writing against it. And when 9-11 happened, he said, okay. And when he saw George Bush say Islam is peace and all that crap, he decided to take, to take the war into his own hands. I said, I have to go there because our soldiers are not being allowed to fight. Uh, they're, they're allowed to pinprick here and there. They're allowed to take out some people every so often when our politicians allow them. They're being pig-tied, and he decides, I'm not going to be pig-tied. I'm going to be pig-man. You know? That was supposed to be a funny line, but I guess not. But anyway, he goes hog-wild in Palestine. Uh-huh. You know? Hello? So, mm-hmm. so in essence... You've got a superhero you know, character. You know, you know, a new, you know, wait, so you have, you have a new superhero okay. character who fights jihad. He's me. And this is something that He's doesn't me, exist. Basically. Yes, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, and and it's it, to me it's shocking that it doesn't exist. Uh, the the closest effort was Frank Miller when he was trying to do a Batman versus Al Qaeda, which I thought was wrong because Batman doesn't kill. How the hell can you face Al Qaeda if you don't kill? So he turned it into the Fixer, and the graphic novel came out in 2011, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it had, it, had, it had its moments, but as someone who's been taking this on, I got very particular ideas about how to take this on, so it's clearly that's not the way he did it, and maybe he might think the same about my work. But regardless, Pigman basically is, is me as an artist saying, okay, if I had superpower, what would I do? So in, in, in one sense, it's a power fantasy, definitely is. As I call it, it's a superpower fantasy. It's how one figure, one man can uh, try to defeat your HUD. And that's the whole idea. And so, and so, if you had to give the plug, why should somebody who's listening now, who has never heard of Pigman before, why should that person go buy the Infidel on Comixology? Why should they sign up for a Comixology membership and go buy the Infidel? What's the reason? To hear the truth that is not being spoken, to see this enemy get it the way they deserve to get it, uh, the way our, our soldiers are not allowed to give it to them. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are those. Yeah, the two things, because I take on Islam and Jihad, both. I don't just take on Jihad. Uh, Frank Miller's story took on Jihad, period. And as he said, he goes, I don't know squat about Islam. So I made a point to know squat about Islam. I studied it as if my, as if my life depended on it. So do you want to hear the truth about Islam? And in there, I make the case. I try to make an argument. There's always a debate going on, whether it's in a comic book a convention, whether it's in a courtroom, whether it's in a television programs. There's always an argument going on about Islam, what it is and what it isn't. And there is, there's always a debate. And then Jihad, you see Pigman in this one, he basically goes on a, on a rampage across Hellasan, as, as I call it. And it's cathartic. I mean, he goes to country to country to country and does as much damage as he can to the state sponsors of terrorism, to terrorists themselves, to the money men behind terrorism. And so, was, uh, so you've got you've got both you've got the action you've got yeah. some intelligent dialogue and argument in yeah. there. How about humor? Is there any do. humor? Is there Absolutely, humor? and that's one thing that people are writing about, which I really appreciate because it's a dark, ugly subject, and I have to laugh at certain things. The things that Pigman does, the things that he says to these guys, the things that happen in the courtroom—it's fun. I mean, I get a ball if if, if I'm not laughing at certain things. I doubt the audiences, and I'm laughing at these things, and I believe that the audiences as well. And it's really the response has been extraordinary. 
I think hands down probably the the greatest response I've gotten from any readers. Uh, now, what, any have, of my what, comments. Have, what have you gotten so far in terms of ratings and reviews? Uh, five star ratings uh, across the board uh, for for this issue, and people the are, reviews are, from from individual Trevor. readers. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, individual go individual reviews that people have sent me. Uh, this one guy, he sent me. Uh, do you mind if I say it? It's a it's a it's a it's a curse now. Okay. He says it's a fucking masterpiece, and that made my night. Flat out made my night. I thought it was great, succinct, and hardcore. And that's what Pigman is. I mean, that's you know he doesn't doesn't talk too much, at least in his uh, in his secret identity as Pigman. He goes in there and does does as much that damage as he can, and he faces off with Super Jihad in this issue for the first time. It's the first time I get an opportunity to draw a superhero battle. And uh, I open it up pretty wide. I mean, I I let it I let it breathe. It's battle, Excellent. and then it gets to yeah. Trevor in the chat room is asking, when could you expect to have Infidel Four out? I don't know at all, at all, because um, I'm currently working on a another project, uh, the project that I've been waiting years to work on, and uh, I decided to to start issue three at the point I think halfway through, finally got this project. So right. I don't know, but I know that there are three to four more issues to go. I can't say exactly when. I can't wait to get back to it, but uh, this project will be here for for a while, let's just say. And so for sure, if, if, if you know people help to promote this work, then that yes, would make it exactly. more likely that you're going to be able to get 100%. to issue four sooner, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's been very difficult to get this issue out to readers. Uh, the readers love it, and I appreciate the hell out of that, but I just need more. I need more readers. And anyone who's on the fence, please consider getting issue one. Just just get issue one. And if you like right. it, you know, hopefully you, you get the rest. But I just, again, it's it's uh, the the entire comic book, book industry right now is in a love affair with Islam. They're promoting Islam means peace through their Muslim superheroes. I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely no, sick of it. I can't believe again, it's actually there, happening. There might, be, there might be people who haven't heard that before. Right now, yeah. the comic book industry is promoting Muslim superheroes. Yes, Muslim superheroes. I always put it in quotes because the Muslim superhero is super jihad. That's what a Muslim superhero is, meaning a guy who adheres to Islam and goes after infidels. But in the Marvel and the DC universe, they're making allegedly devout Muslims who are just good, decent human beings fighting villains. And that's it, like your average superhero, which is impossible. And the fact is they ignore jihad. So why isn't why aren't these Muslim superheroes going after those who have quote unquote perverted the religion like the jihadists? Because Marvel right. doesn't want to get into that mess. They just want to promote Islam as good. It's just sick and again, thing. And it's if, just, you know, again, if if you have a major cultural outlet in the United States, namely Marvel Comics, yes. promoting religion, um, there's another yes. piece. There's another piece that I would recommend to the listeners to go check out. Normally, I've got program notes at DontLetItGo.com, but I don't have it right now because of this schedule and all these conflicts right now. But one thing you can check out, um, Dr. Michael Hurd had a piece this week about what liberalism and Islam have in common. And in essence right now, both liberals and Muslims will use uh, something called argument from intimidation. Rand used to call this argument from intimidation. And what you do is when anybody questions your ideas, you just 
call them some horrible name and smear them like you call them racist or whatever. And then basically that other person is going to be dismissed without the argument ever being considered. So right now, Muslims, you know, have this argument that if you dismiss them or their ideology, Islam, that you're a racist. And if you don't embrace it, if you don't love it, you know, the, the liberals, you know, the liberals at Marvel, they don't want to be called racist, so of course they're going to allow them to promote yeah. their ideology, Islam. I don't know how and this one happens. Thing, one thing also, the writer of Miss Marvel of their Muslim superhero comic calls Iran gorgeous. It's great. The people are great. Iran, the greatest state sponsor of terrorism on Earth with American blood on his hands. This you-know-what. I mean, I, I want to correct the, her the, up, but the she said mind that. You, in, in Iran, talk about human rights. In Iran... They think their enlightened approach is that if you're homosexual, you won't necessarily be killed. You have the option to have a a forced sex change in Iran. Oh, gosh, I've only got 90 seconds or so left, Bosh. So, again, tell people where to go to grab Pigman 3. You can go to uh, Comixology on their website. You can download their app onto your phone, onto your iPad, onto your ebook reader. And if you want to see the enemy get it, again, get the infidel. I think you'll really enjoy it. Excellent. Excellent. So Comixology with an X, C-O-M-I-X-O-L-O-G-Y. Just look for Pigman or Bosch Falsen or The Infidel and you'll find it. Excellent. Yeah, just look up for Pigman. They'll find it. Excellent. So everyone, thank you for joining me here this evening and for participating here in the chat room. Welcome. I Got a Stinky Pipe is our new listener here who's been Hmm. asking and debating. Tune in next week and ask me some more of these questions on the basic philosophy, and I'll be glad to go back and forth. Better yet, I got a stinky pipe in the chat room. Call in live okay. next week. So thank you, everyone. Go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com to learn more about the show and me. If you want to become a show supporter, join the people who support this show and keep it on the air. I am always appreciative of that. And everyone, you have a great rest of your weekend, and I'll talk to you next week here the same time it's going to be Saturday night, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.